The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Roe McDermott, movies editor with Hot Press, is with us. We'll go through the new releases in a moment, but we're going to talk first about the late Michael Gambon. Uh, best known, perhaps, for some people, for playing Albus Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies, a role he took over in the third Harry Potter movie after the death of his fellow Irishman, Richard Harris. Let's hear a little bit of him as Dumbledore in The Deathly Hallows Part 2. Help will always be given at Hogwarts, Harry, to those who ask for it. I've always prized myself on my ability to turn a phrase. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. But I would, in this case, amend my original statement to this. Help would always be given at Hogwarts to those who deserve us. Do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living. And above all, all those who live without love instantly recognisable mm. but brilliant voice of Michael Gambon and yet he applied that voice role to so many different parts across stage, television and movies. Yeah, I think so, a certain generations will definitely know him for his role in Harry Potter but I think people of all generations know him from things because he grew up in Cabra then moved to London and took part in the National Theatre after Laurence Olivier set it up and was known for playing Othello, Hamlet, Macbeth, all of these he also uh, was in, in incredible versions of Samuel Beckett and Harold Pinter, so people know him from the stage. But also he did, he was a Wes Anderson collaborator, he worked on The Life Aquatic with Steve Wiseau, he's in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Then he took his hand to Arte's films and major blockbusters, he was in Sleepy Hollow, The Insider, uh, Gosford Park. So his range was just unmatched and he just brought gravitas but also fun to his roles. And I think what's been so lovely about the tributes that are pouring in now from fellow castmates and, and his peers are saying that he was such an incredible actor and so non-judgmental of his characters which meant he could play anything but that he was such good fun on set which is always lovely to hear and he was apparently a very kind man so he will be sorely missed. Okay, that's the late Michael Gambon. Of course we did ask a competition question based on his role as Dumbledore which was the answer. Lisa Dunn is our competition winner this evening. Now let's talk about the new releases. What is the creator? Creator. So this is by Gareth Edwards who people might know from Rogue, a Star Wars movie or um, the Godzilla films but I think what Gareth Edwards should be more known for is his very first film which was called Monsters which was an absolute no budget movie we're talking kind of four figures made on the sly a lot of the time without uh, without uh, permission but it was about a world that had been invaded by creatures and it's how the human beings react but now he's known for Godzilla so he's taken his skills for creating really small human dramas his interest in how human beings interact with technology with different creatures um, and he's brought this together in a really brilliant sci-fi that is reminds me of a rival um uh what uh, what's the I'm completely blanking so of a rival Deus Ex Machina these sci-fi films that are really focused on human being stories so this is John David Washington who plays an ex-military officer who loses his wife in a tragic raid and becomes very disillusioned but he's recruited back by Alison Janey as his absolutely merciless gen- general this um, is from CJ from the West Wing CJ from the West Wing as you've never seen her before absolutely ruthless and it's place, taking place in 2065 and it's about 10 years after AI and humanity 
really have gone completely at war with each other. AI started off as it is starting off now, taking on jobs people want to do, helping humans. But then there was an attack on LA that was seemingly coordinated by AI and a million people died. And this has created this absolute epic war. Um, so uh, John David Washington's character, Joshua, is recruited because apparently AI have this super weapon that could really wipe out humanity. So he is sent to go find it. But when he does, he finds out that it's in the human form of a fairly unflappable six-year-old girl who has the telekinetic ability to kind of stop any technology that she comes across. And as she grows, her powers are going to grow with her. Um, but he has to bring her back alive in the sense that a human uh, humanoid robot simulant can be alive, but goes on this journey with her and, of course, starts to question the nature of humanity, the nature of AI, and whether they can coexist. So you enjoyed this? I think it's really brilliant, cinematically beautiful, only has a budget of 80 million. The way CGI is used in this film, it just showcases how much money is wasted on really empty CGI in other films. The technology feels lived in, it feels weathered, it's beautiful, cinematically stunning. The personal story is really lovely. Um, it's not a particularly original story. We've had films grappling with AI and humanoids before, um, but the way it is told is going to make this classic. So I really hope people turn out to see it. We had Paul Laverty with us on the programme last Friday. Paul is is the screenwriter who has worked for, with Ken Loach yes. over 14 movies and their latest movie is The Old Oak. He told us all about it on Friday's mm. programme. What did you make of it? I thought this was lovely. This is a kind of thematic trilogy with I, Daniel Blake and Sorry We Missed You. So it takes place in Northern England in this town that went through the minor strikes in the late 1960s, early 70s, um, had this sense of union, solidarity, community, but then has been completely decimated by governmental decisions. So libraries and swimming pools have been shut down. There are no resources resources for kids. Corporate landlords are buying out the houses so the prices for the houses have dropped to like £8,000 so nobody can move out of this increasingly decimated community and then a bunch of Syrian refugees are then brought to the community. Of course they're not brought to wealthy communities that have resources they're brought to this tiny town. TJ played by Dave Turner plays a pub owner. The pub is going going to hell. There's nobody coming in. There's a group of regulars who have a pint a day. Um, he's really tender hearted. He's had his own tragedies. He forms a relationship a friendship with Yara who is a Syrian refugee but other members of the community because they have no resources because they have no sense of control or agency over their lives instead of taking it out on powerful people who are invisible uh, they start turning on the refugees and so it's about communities that are under resource turning on each other which of course is incredibly prescient but Loach the working class people in this town are Loach's people so even though he doesn't condone their actions in any way or excuse them he understands it he has empathy for them and I think it feels like such an empathetic film. Um, it gets a little bit sentimental for Loach but it's his last film before retirement, we'll give him to that but the performances are all so authentic. These are mainly uh, actors who have never performed before Dave Turner in the lead role has had tiny uh, parts in I, Daniel Blake but this is his first leading role they feel lived in and it's such a thought provoking film again a little bit saccharine towards the end but it really talks about the power of hope and I defy anyone to go into this film and not see how important the themes are and come out talking about them That Paul Laverty interview from last Friday is available at the Today FM player if people want to hear it. Now Wes Anderson movies can be a bit hit and miss I think it's fair to say. When they're very good they're good when they're not good they're not particularly good at all. What about these four short movies that he's made which have gone up on Netflix? Yeah so these are based on Roald Dahl stories that weren't the children children's stories kind of like Matilda and the Twits they were kind of more young adult teens so they're subtler Uh, so this is the first one there's also going to be the swan the rat catcher and poison there's going to be a roving community of about 17 well-known actors who are going to be popping in and out of each one this stars Benedict Cumberbatch
that. It also has Dev Patel, it has Ben Kingsley, and basically tells the story of Henry Sugar, uh, who was a floundering gambler, a very selfish man, but he th- learned the art of seeing without his eyes. And it takes us on a journey of how he got to this place. Uh, so it goes back and visits yogis, it visits circus performers, it visits how he could possibly have this kind of almost telepathic skill, and also the emotional journey he goes on becoming a better person. Uh, of course, Wes Anderson's style is involved. So uh, all of the sets are beautiful. It's almost theatrical, the way sets are rolled on by stagehands. Um, everybody everybody is centre frame. The costumes are beautiful. But this is a story. It is literally being read to us. So the actors are reading uh, the story to us. So they'll t- they'll say uh, a line and then they'll turn direct to the camera and say, I said. So it's not an immersive movie type experience. It's really like a really beautiful story being told. So you're not immersed in it. You're engaged by it. But I actually think it really works for Wes Anderson's style, which always has a little bit of distance because well, of how stylized it is. But let, really let's fun. just hear a clip of Ray Fiennes playing Roald Dahl introducing Henry Sugar. Henry Sugar was 41 years old, unmarried and rich. He was rich because he had a rich father who was now dead. He was unmarried because he was too selfish to share any of his money with a wife. He was six feet, two inches tall and not perhaps as handsome as he thought he was. He paid a great deal of attention to his clothes. He went to an expensive tailor for his suits, to a shirt maker for his shirts and to a bootmaker for his shoes. His hairdresser trimmed his hair once every ten days and he always took a manicure at the same time. He drove a Ferrari motor car which cost him about the same as a country cottage. All his friends were rich and he had never done a day's work in his life. Men like Henry Sugar can be found drifting like seaweed all over the world. They're not particularly bad men, but they're not good men either. They're simply part of the decoration. Drifting like seaweed, I love it. Listen, in just a minute, will you tell us about the likely conclusion of the writer, the actor's strike? Yeah, so finally the writer's strike are getting what they want. I think what's going to be really interesting to see over the next while is how the results of the strikes are going to impact our viewing and the streaming services because the budget of the streaming services is going to remain at about 17 billion a year, which is the size of a small country. Uh, but it's going to have to be focused on fewer shows, which I think is going to be ultimately an excellent thing because means showrunners are going to be focusing on fewer shows they can focus on quality um, but I think there is going to be a lull since the strikes but I think the most important thing is that writers are going to be paid again and actors can get and get back to collaborating with them on really important projects but it means that people really need to start supporting projects that they believe in because there are going to be fewer jobs for writers, there are going to be fewer projects getting made so there might be a little bit of a lull but then hopefully we'll get to be a, a glorious kind of couple of years of great cinema and great shows Hopefully we will and we'll have loads to talk Talk about in years to come. Roe McDermott from Hot Press. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.